Hi, everyone. This is Catching Up with the Nerds with your hosts, Tom and JC, and our special guest, David. Uh, this is a podcast about two dads that are catching up on all the nerdy stuff we miss, sharing how we pass on our nerdy passions to our kids, and deep diving into nerd pop culture to make it more accessible for you. Welcome back, listeners. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good day, mate. All good. All good. All good. Yeah. Shall we do our intros? Uh, David, do you want to kick us off? I can do. Um, my name is David Sago. Uh, I mostly podcast these days. Um, I like to do the production side of things, editing, um, work with ideas and things like that. Um, I am a nerd, self-confessed. I'm out of the closet. Um, I'm into Marvel uh, comics and the comic book universe. Um, I'm big into computer games. Um, originally a Nintendo guy up until the PlayStation 4 when I crossed over. Um, and I, I think that is all. I think that's all. I dabble in a little bit of anime. Just a li- just enough. Just enough. Nice. Ooh, nice. All right, my turn. Uh, <laughs> my name is Tom. Um, I am 50% of the Catching Up with the Nerd podcast. I'm also 33%, no, wait, 25% of the Grid and Grind bas- basketball podcast. So that gives me what? 75% podcaster, 100% French. Um, <laughs> what do I like? Um, video games. I love my PlayStation 5, which is currently being abused by my son. Um, <laughs> he's also uh, playing on the Switch these days. It's quite interesting. Um, I love movies. I love Marvel comics. I love DC comics. I love Batman. Uh, and I love everything that is nerdy. How that has to do with technology. Uh, and in my spare time, I've been messing with old consoles and trying to refurbish them and make them work again because they deserve love, guys, just like human beings. And tomorrow is uh, Valentine's Day. So if you want to spend sexy time with your other half or with consoles, I'm open to both IDs. Um, that's it. That's enough talking. I think you just set up a, like a shop where you sell Valentines in the shape of like game consoles that you can oh, send to people. Cute! Wow! <laughs> wow! Cut that from the recording. Come get to work, and I want ten percent. Why? Because I was here. Damn it! Fine. I think that that shop has to have that and the whole like uh, the GameCube controller idea that I tossed out a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, I still stand by that. David, I think you should take the, you know, the GameCube controller. Mm-hmm. I find that thing infinitely sad. No, GameCube. Yeah. No, Nintendo 64 controller. That's mm-hmm. it. I find that thing so satisfying. I think that should be like a, a fidget. You just like literally unplug it and mm-hmm. sell it to people for kids just to like fidget with it all day long. I think it's, Fine, you get 10% that's, too. Fine. That is our retirement. <laughs> Any fidget toy that doesn't make noise is fine by me as a teacher. <laughs> yes. Um, so I am uh, Juan Carlos Garay. I am 50% of the podcast, 100% Latino, and uh, I don't know, like 87.7% nerd, I'll say. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I, I have a lovely wife named Fiorella. I have two kids, uh, oldest one named Aiden and youngest one named Arabelle. And I love me my graphic novels and comics. I'll read anything that is, funny enough, not Marvel or DC related until recently. And now I've been reading up on my Marvel and DC. I've always been kind of like independent or like other publisher type comics. Uh, and uh, I do love me some nerdy TV, nerdy series. And I dabble in video games slightly and definitely like big into anime. 
So oh. that's that's like we have now assembled people. This is now a three-legged Voltron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and let's cut and re- rewind that no, one. As no, well. no, 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 no. That stays in. That stays in. <laughs> I shouldn't be the only one who suffers. I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll, they'll knock you down to about 44% nerd after that one. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and next week, 12. <laughs> My nerd card will be handed in shortly. Uh, so, uh, this... so, why are we here, JC? Why are we here today? Yeah, why are we talking about this month? Uh, we are talking about Black History, people. More specifically, it's Black History Month. It's February. And we decided, why not look at the intersection of Black history and nerd culture? Where do those two come together? How has it worked? How has it not worked? Um, and what are some of our recommendations for this month? So if you're going to go check out some media this month, whether it be you're picking up a graphic novel, whether you're checking out a show, whether you're playing a video game, uh, we just want to drop some knowledge on you to say, hey, think about this when you're doing it, because there can be some other properties out there you're not familiar with that you might want to go to check out for Black History Month. Cool, right. So now we are moving back, circling back into... The next recommendation, which is uh, JC's turn now. What you yeah. got? So uh, I'll build a little bit of some of the stuff you guys talked about, in particular, the, the comment about like not having strong Black female leads. This is a comic about a super strong uh, Black female lead. So the comic is actually called Genius. And it, this is not put out by any major publishing um, uh, company. It's not a Marvel, it's not an Image, it's not a DC. Um, but I came across it by listening to a podcast. There's a podcast I listen to that has a guy named Mark Bernardin. Uh, he's a super talented writer. He is from originally from the Blo- uh, from the Bronx. His mom was like Haitian. His dad was African-American. And um, uh, just I love everything that he's that he's written and he's written for shows like uh, Castle Rock and uh, he's going to write for the upcoming Masters of the Universe cartoon that's coming out. Um, but point being is that he made a comic back in the day, I believe it was like around 2012 um, with uh, Adam Freeman. He co-wrote it, but got uh, a full Richardson, which we'll come back to as an artist. Uh, another black woman that that's a really interesting artist that we can come back and talk about in just a minute. But the premise of this, and I won't do it justice unless I actually read it from Wikipedia because it's just so well written. But the, the premise is, what if the greatest military mind of our generation was born to a people who are already supremely conditioned to wage war, who know nothing but violence from birth and must continually adapt to new predators in order to survive? So basically, it's a 17-year-old in LA, growing up in the inner city, growing up around Compton, like all the areas that have been neglected by our community for so long, right? Um, and she brings together all the LA gangs and starts to wage war on the LAPD. Fascinating, right. dude. And, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a five-issue run, super short, gets to the point immediately. And the way that she starts to wage war on the LAPD is super interesting because first it shows you kind of her backstory about how she's always been different since she's a kid. Like she sees the kids moving and she sees like these like little arrows of like tactically, like what they should do next in the game. She's like, she's always thinking strategy since she's a kid, but she feels weird. And there's a really beautiful moment in the comic where she picks up and she, she either reads a book or hears about uh, searching for Bobby Fisher, the, the chess genius. And once she understands the Bobby Fisher story, she's like, oh, I get it. Like she herself realizes I'm a genius. Like I see things 
differently to other people. She just can't quite put her finger on what that is, right? And she grows up, grows up like both her parents get killed by the LAPD. Uh, she grows up in neighborhoods that like ha are, are basically where we're gangs. And that's the part we, we they really love that they lean into it. The gangs aren't just like the people causing trouble in the neighborhood. The gangs are actually helping the neighborhood. They're looking out for their community. But of course, as gangs are gangs, like the problems between each other is the problem. And she finds a way to unite them by showing them if if we are smart, we can actually outsmart the LAPD because they're not very organized and they're not very smart. And if we come together, we can do something. We, we hold a lot of power. And slowly but steadily, she starts to recruit them. And she doesn't recruit them with honey. Like she is definitely very mean to everybody there, but it's for a purpose, right? So, so in the kind of like Malcolm versus Martin argument, she's definitely taking the Malcolm side. But mm -hmm. in the sense like, at the same time, she's very clear. I want to bring everybody together so we can free this community to be what it needs to be. I am not here to say what this community should be. And I do want to, I am not a leader to dictate that, but I can get us out of where we are. Mm -hmm. And then they start having like all these, like she sets all these traps for the LAPD. She like draws them in and then like lights parts on fire, like all this, like that would play out so cool. Like in a, in a series, there's some great action scenes. And then I don't want to spoil the end, but she knows that she is fighting a war that she is not going to win, but she's there to win the battle. And oh. then it leads on to, and there's actually a second version of it that they came out. There's like, they, they put another five issues a couple of years later. Uh, but I can't talk about this without spoiling them for this one, but I can just gonna say, if you can find it anywhere, it is well worth picking up. I actually managed to get it from our local library. So definitely in the States is widely available. Uh, don't know about the UK, but it's just super nicely done. And then just, so- Just checking on Amazon, it looks like it's uh, it's not an easy one to get a hold of, so. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a, a little bit tricky. And definitely in the States is possible. In the UK, it might be a little trickier, but you can order from the States or possibly find like a web version of it. Uh, highly recommend it and check out everything that Afua Richardson does. Of which is like the the art in this is awesome, and she's gone on to actually do art for Lovecraft Country, which, uh, as you know, Thomas, one of my favorite shows yep. of last year. Um, so all the art that the little girl shows her mom to take on those trips with her, like the, she's always like the little girl's always like writing on this, uh, like all these like superhero art for her dad to take on her trips. Afford Richardson does all that art, and she's been really involved with like the art around Lovecraft Country. Just really talented um, illustrator to follow for sure. Like, and she's picking up a lot of really interesting um, uh, IP to work on for sure that that Marvel's giving her. So that's genius, guys. Awesome. Genius. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it looks it looks great. I like the artwork. Um, also, um, Mark Bernardine is is really is, is such a cool guy. Like, if you've um, Watch his podcast. He's co-hosting with um, Kevin Smith. Is it Fat Man yeah. Beyond? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny as hell. Also, if you, um, I'm a big fan of that. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I do. I do put it on sometimes. Was uh, was washing the dishes, and I want to listen to something cool and funny. Um, it's actually one of the things that I, I think. I think it's in LA. I think they're hosting that in LA somewhere. Um, they, they, they do theirs live. Yeah. They do they do those live, so that's what I was gonna say. It's like if, if one day I get to LA, I think I'd like to get some tickets to go and see them if that's ever a thing ever again. Um yeah. but yeah, he's it's 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 funny because I didn't know that he was also writing. I know, I know he's a writer, but I didn't know he did a comic though. So he, he's actually doing another comic right now. He's writing, uh, Marvel has just come out with a new series, which is 
the premise is what if the superheroes that we know hadn't become superheroes? So Mark Bernard is actually writing the one for Peter Parker called Shutterbug. Um, and it's what's what does Peter Parker's life look like if he never gets bitten by the spider, if he never becomes Spider-Man? So, so it's part of the what, if, what if series, right? Kind of, yeah. It, it, they're calling it something different now, though, with this new launch. It's they're doing it across a bunch of heroes. Mm. I'm trying to see. Oh, um, is it? No, it's not Masters of, of the Universe. For, no, it's not that. That's that's on Netflix. Oh no, uh, no that, this is a comic. Yeah, Masters of the Universe is an animated series he's writing on as well. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Dave, any 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 questions to our our dear JC about genius? Or shall we move uh, on to your recommendation? <laughs> uh, no, I just I find it really interesting um, that it's a set in that setting. Like when you described um, what the genius was, like if you that premise of taking someone who was in that situation um, and hearing you sort of go through it, and I was just listening carefully for for where I would place that type of person. It's very interesting that it ends up being set in, you know, in Compton, in in LA, um, where, you know, the situation over there is like the perfect example of how uh, systemic racism has oppressed <laughs> a group of people, like with the the whole housing situation and um, redlining and all of those like systemic things that were put in place specifically to hold um, black people back from owning property and uh, moving up and moving on and bettering themselves. Uh, like it, Compton is a, a microcosm of oppression essentially, um, but so much greatness has come out of there. And yes. it's interesting for it to be called um, for it to be called genius and be set in Compton when we've seen so many geniuses rise up and out of that that environment. Um, yeah, it's kind of meta. <laughs> yep. Yep. Shout out to Great. Dr. Dre. Uh, Shout out to Dr. Dre. <laughs> Kendrick. Uh, Kendrick. But uh, no, also to me, one of the things that I, I love about it is like, it feels, it feels like it, it's, it takes the, the interesting elements of movements like the Black Panthers, for example, uh, where like the, 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 the stereotype that, that unfortunately like a lot of our racist institutes that want us to, to believe is like Black Panthers were only, they were militant and violent, da, 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 but they leave out the part where like the Black Panthers were super involved in the community. Like for kids thing going on for years, even after the Black Panthers were done, actually. And they were so, they were so involved in the community because they came from the community, right? Yeah. Um, and they they reached out and connected with like local gangs and stuff to like work with the community. And that's the things I loved about this. This, this is a story about liberation, not of her, because actually it's not her personal liberation. It's the liberation of her community. Yeah. And that's some of the things in it that I really, really enjoyed about it. That, that was cool. And, and and I wish that I, we could get more stories like this. Even this story, which we got more issues because there's only 10 issues. Yeah. And and apparently at some point, Mark Bernard got an offer to get it picked up for TV and they were going to change the premise completely. And he's like, nope. Yeah. And that's the things yeah. I really respect about it. He's like, as much as I'm going to cash out right now, I'm not going to sell you my IP because you're just going to do it the wrong way. And, and I really respect him for that. That's super yeah. cool that, that he's held on to. Yeah. So hopefully at, at some point in the future, we actually get the version that we should get of this character. Yeah. And That'd be cool. It's funny you mentioned that about the Black Panthers because also the, 
Bloods and Crips were both created to protect the community from the police. Correct. So Correct. It, it carries on that same lineage. Um, obviously, as you said, the gangs have their own feud going on um, and that has sort of corrupted the whole the whole concept. But this is largely <laughs> largely the way that things go, right? Yep. Uh, exactly. An organization is created with uh, the interest of the community at heart. And then along the way, um, human nature gets in the way. Yes, exactly. Deviates, yep. Yep, yep, exactly. So uh, off the back of this one, say if, if this is something that sounds interesting, uh, definitely check out uh, one, uh, Lovecraft Country. Uh, just, uh, I get an entire show about Lovecraft Country. I, there's we will, so we will, JC. I, I love that show so much there's so much to unpack like thematically it's amazing like but it's also entertaining anyways check out lovecraft country um and then actually right now in january 21 we just got a graphic novel that's about the black panther party it actually chronicles the history of the black yeah. panther party in graphic novel form wow. uh so i'm actually due to pick it up it's by david f walker um and uh, who if you check him out he actually david ovaka actually a couple of the cool properties he's working on as well um but i'd say check that one out and also if you're into stuff that mark bernardin has done uh, or interested in finding out more about him funny enough um uh, he was a writer and got a, a sag nomination for castle rock if anybody's seen that um the first i haven't seen the second season but the first season i actually really loved and there's like one episode in that season that i still think is like one of the best pieces of tv i've ever seen i think it's like episode seven uh with the it's the dementia episode basically uh definitely check it out strong black lead uh good writers uh and uh just really fun show actually and and you can finish it in one in like one season and done because the second season doesn't tie into the first season is my understanding Yes, Peter so Castle Rock. It's it's only available on Hulu's, I think. Um, on the Hulu's, yes. Yeah, on the Hulu's, it's not widely available anywhere, everywhere in the world. So, sure. Always download. Can always download. Yeah, and Lovecraft Country's on HBO uh, to check out, and the Black Panther comic should be at your local comic book shop. And go out and support comic book shops, everyone, because we need to keep them alive because uh, they're super fun, and I don't want them to die. Yeah, when I bought my <laughs> uh, comic from came and went. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sucks. oh, it sucks when that happens. Um, right, moving on now to Dave. Uh, you've got another cool film, I think. If that's where you're going with, I'm highly interested. Go on. <laughs> yeah, so um, the next film is an older film. Um, it's called The Brother from Another Planet. Uh, it Sell was... it. Let's go. <laughs> it came out in 1984, um, written and directed and edited by John Sayles. Um, it was an indie movie um, that came out at the time. Um, and it's about an alien that lands on Ellis Island, funnily enough. Um, and the alien is black. Um, aliens played by Joe Morton, uh, who you probably know as the black dude in Terminator 2. Uh, he also pops up in Speed and a number of other films. Um, He's the guy that created Skynet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Another black inventor. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he plays the alien uh, who finds his way to Harlem and ends up in a bar for the first part of the movie. It's a black owned bar um, with black bartenders. Uh, and he spends some time there 
hilarity ensues in various different ways. But um, what I like about the film is it sort of plays on the way society is because um, obviously this is a black man who will be treated like a black man in America at the time. Um, they don't know he's an alien, but um, obviously he knows he's not meant to be there. And it's just funny seeing the interactions that he has with other people. Um, uh, for example, he, um, uh, I think three white men come and sit down next to him. Uh, and one of them's like, oh, you know, give me five and puts his hand out. And he doesn't have any idea what to do because <laughs> obviously he knows nothing of the way that yeah. society works over here. But this white guy is trying to relate to a black man by being cool around him, uh, quote unquote cool. Um, obviously, as always, um, an alien can't land without someone trying to track down the alien. So uh, there are two white guys dressed in all black who come into the bar after, um, after Jim Wharton's character has left. And they say, we're looking for this man. And you know, they put up a picture of him. And obviously the black bartenders um, seeing two white men looking for a black man who was just in their bar in the 80s are like, nah, we haven't seen him. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to ask somewhere else. <laughs> right? They play their part perfectly. Um, the two gentlemen, knowing that they're aliens looking for an alien, are like, how can we spin this to make it seem more realistic, more grounded in their society? They're like, oh, um, well, we work for immigration. As if that would set everyone at ease when obviously you're in a black bar talking about being from immigration. They're just like, yeah, no, nah, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna help you in any way. Um, I think they end up asking one of the other punters in the in the bar um, for his green card to try and fit in, and he's just like, what kind of question is that? Like he's born and raised in um, in Harlem, so he's like, why would I ever have a green card? Like he acts like he barely knows what one is. Um, and yeah, it just sort of plays on those societal, um, the way society works uh, and black white relations and stuff like that. But then obviously he's an alien. So it just sends things down a completely different path more often than not. Um, the film is available in America on Hulu as well. Um, I'm not oh. sure if we have access to it over here. Doesn't look it, like it now. There is a channel called, let me see if I can find it. There is a channel called, um, is it Retrospective? Yes, but yeah, I think it's Retrospective. I think you're right. Yeah, is it just Retrospective? Um, that have like a long, I, I'm not sure if they commentate over it, but they, they have a long video um, where they they go over the film and sort of give it its dues. Um so yeah i think it is the full full movie yeah if you go to the retrospective channel yeah no i'm not i'm not seeing it but yeah it's 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 definitely not on netflix though. that would have been a cool cool thing to watch there's a bunch of famous actors in there as well and and by the way joe morton cyborg's dad yes yeah, yeah, yes bringing it back yeah. to the nerd actually yeah. i'm looking at his filmography this guy was in mash Yep. And now is Cyborg's dad. Like he's got, he's got like a Strange. like Samuel L. Jackson sort of career. Like he's done a ton, man. Yeah, 
Like yeah, you no, could he's... do just an entire podcast just talking about his filmography because he mm. actually has been in really interesting films. He's in a lot of good movies, like big, big productions, like um, Justice League. So if you go, if you go on this IMDb, it's like Godzilla, Justice League, Batman, he, Superman. He was in in Speed Two, Cruise Control. Yes, like carried over. At that point, he just just should have retired, man. <laughs> oh my God, his name in Speed is Herb. Want that vision, anyone? Oh. <laughs> So Herb, Herb is Cyborg's dad in WandaVision. Gosh. Does that make Ooh. Speed 2 canon with the yeah, MCU? Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> Automatically in there. But, oh my who, God, Kenya Reeves. Who, who made the boat go too fast? <laughs> Must have been Wanda. It's all Wanda. It's all Wanda. So oh the boat, God, the bus, cool. all of it. <laughs> those numbers. The the bus was just was just running back to the hex where it needed to be. There you <laughs> go. My God, that's Pull the engineer. Oh my God! Oh no, my God, we're getting ahead of. Uh, that's the wow. engineer. It's Cyborg. Of course, it's got to be Joe Morton's character who made Skynet. Exactly. Oh my! It or, all makes sense. Oh wait, no, but this is an interesting one. Reed Richards recast as Joe Morton. Yeah. Yep. Reed Richards. Black Reed Richards. If that happens. Like, there's no reason he can't be black. If that happens, I want ten percent of whatever it is we get for guessing <laughs> right. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert: Dave wants ten percent of everything always. Uh, <laughs> Just... <laughs> no, but but coming back to to the movie we're talking about, yeah. funny enough, as you were going through it, the thing that popped in my in my mind, and this is going to be really weird, but I started thinking about Paddington. Um, so mm-hmm. at some point I read in some either uh, it was either a video essay or an article I read about how actually mm-hmm. Paddington is a little bit of a metaphor for the immigrant the immigrant experience in the UK, uh, and then in particular because it's set in West London and because of where it's set, it's like a lot of people think that it's actually an, an indication of like specifically the West Indian experience coming to London, okay, yeah. um, and and it just made me think of things like how how we don't have more movies about this because whether it be from an immigrant perspective, from kind of a, a, a whether it be, if you're coming in from Africa into the UK, if you were brought from, from Africa forcibly to the United States, or just like generally as an immigrant going into the world as a black person, there is an alien-esque experience to it, mm. right? And how we haven't gotten more movies like this and the fact that we had to like sub with a bear or like make it into like mm. a bit of a comedy mm. that we couldn't take that, 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 topic seriously is actually mm. honestly disappointing like i feel like we, we we deserve to get that movie somehow because it's it's a story that could only be told by a black creator right it, to do it true justice right yeah and i i think it's not uh it's not a nerd topic or a nerd um piece of work but small acts uh seeks to sort of tell those yeah. immigrant stories from mm-hmm. the perspective of uh Caribbeans and uh, people that came in on the Windrush boats um, and that is available on the BBC over here I think I'm not sure what outlet it's available on over there in America but I know it's available Amazon yeah yeah Uh, dude I fully agreed. I actually, I was I was trying hard not. I was trying to figure out a way to bring small acts into this conversation. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it in because honestly, yeah. like it, it's it's it was super great to watch it. But in particular, if for nothing else, for the for the house party episode. Oh, you like that one? Yeah. Ever since like the original house party 
that mm. Kid and Play did, mm. I am yet to be moved by a house party scene as much as that one. Where I was mm. like, it, it really bummed me out to be in the pandemic to watch that particular scene. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh man, I miss house parties. And this is such a good one. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and, and it's relatable because that's where we were like, man, when we were kids, it's like, we had to like figure out who had a speaker and kind of like put it together and kind of like make it work. And he threw these house parties, they're all janky and stuff, but because of the music, it didn't matter that people are there. So I don't know. I, was, yeah. I, I could gush all day about small acts. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and so yeah, another one on my list. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, and the trial episode I still stand by this. I think that episode is what the trial of the Chicago Seven should have been. I think Steve McQueen did a better job doing that than in that episode than the entire movie that Aaron Sorkin did. But right. yet, there's no Oscar nod. I'm yeah. sure. So it's one of those things. Yeah. Oh, now I've got to go and watch it. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I definitely highly recommend that. Um, yeah. I, I might, I'll be referring back to it, I guess, later on. That cool. we call a tease. <laughs> sell sell that shit sell it all right cool um am i next yes am I next am i i've lost the train um let me jump back on the train so again um i'm sticking to my theme of talking about um, black creators and and uh, entertainers and i thought you know what we're in the same game i want to talk about youtubers and um i've got i've got i've got a list i've got three on my list but i think that the, the the first two are really the ones that I, I've been watching and enjoying the content. So I thought, you know, let's uh, let's go and go into it. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Lamar Wilson, who's um, this very entertaining guy who talks about everything that is to do with nerd culture and, and video games. And again, everything is pretty much like us. Um, he, he actually, we should try and get him on the podcast. That'd be awesome. Um, and he's aimed at, more of a, of a kid's audience um, due to his background, which I'll, I'll get into uh, shortly. And I know Emily's been, I think that's the first YouTuber she actually subscribed to. Um, and she she actually loves every, everything that he does. She's on it right away. Um, so so Lamar is this very bubbly guy. He's, um, he's like larger than life um, type of person that loves to share um, anything that has to do with, with the nut culture. And, um, and, and, He's, it's coming across as almost like his child, like adult, uh, but like very endearing, very nice, very like you almost want him to be your friend to that point, you know, like or your neighbor or your your roommate or whatever. So he's he's that type of, of cool guy that he, you you want in your life because you know he 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 can talk about nerdy stuff all day long, and he'll you know he'll pass you the, the controller to play all of the games he's got on the on his Xbox One and his Switch. Um, but he, he, he does a lot of great content that is aimed, I think, almost to a fault um, to, <laughs> to kids, you know, like let's say from 8 to 15-year-old kids on, on, on the YouTubes. Um, so who is Lamar, I hear you ask? Who is Lamar, Tom? Oh, JC, again, great question. Um, so, <laughs> so Lamar, timely. I know, right? Twice. Suspicious. <laughs> Um, so he started working with with um, uh, as a customer service um, employee, like in the business with that to do with technology. And uh, you can tell that he he's used to talk to people, and that's that's where he got his ways of of talking to people. So you know he was helping out people on a daily basis. And um, for a while he did that, and then moved on to uh, being a school teacher, elementary school teacher, and 
and I think that was in Chicago, if I'm not wrong. Um, so he was he was largely um, teaching um, kids um, in the was it grades one to eight? What age is that in the US, JC? Um, uh, so one through eight. That's yeah. seven through fourteen. Okay. Okay. So that that's the sort of and you can tell again that's sticking to his targeted audience on YouTube, right? You can tell he's used that experience of being a school teacher for them and he's transferred that onto this YouTube channel. Um, and I think he, he there's a this video where he explained his background and he's his part of his job was um, teaching I think he, he moved around different topics as a teacher, but then he, he thought one day he was like, oh I need to make my kids you know, I need to get them interested in a lot of different topics. So why don't I make videos about the topic? And then he turned also that, that the hobby of making videos for school. And he said, oh, you know what? I'm actually, actually know how to edit stuff. I know how to um, tell a story about whatever topic I'm talking about. I'm going to show my students also how to edit, how to tell stories. And he also managed to um, get a bunch of equipment for inner city schools and inner city kids. So he managed to get through his connections of working in, in, in customer services and working in businesses before that. He got, I think, a, one business in particular to buy a bunch of laptops and, and, and PCs for the school and get them to get the kids to edit on those machines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's got, he's got this whole background of um, helping out people and helping out kids and getting them to be interested in, in technology and, and interested in storytelling and interested in, in being creative overall. Um, and I think moving forward, he's left now the teaching world and launched himself into um, being an online presence. And he, um, I think he launched, what was it, like back in 2008, something like that, when he started really getting into YouTube. Uh, and he thought, I think the, 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 the first videos and the, the, the first thing he's done is it's pretty much in the same veins, you know, like trying to teach people about stuff. But then he slightly uh, moved away from that um, um, teaching values. He is now going into straightly, you know, straight into being entertain- an entertainer and being a movie reviewer and like going into all these premieres. Um, and also, funny enough, he also does a lot of reviews on um, Oreos cookies. So that's one of his things. Like he's he gets a lot of love from Oreos. He's just like dipping Oreos in milk and then telling you like you know like there's a new flavor out. And which which is why Emily loves it loves him so much, um, but I mean, he does a lot of stuff now everywhere online. And I think it's it's quite he he deserves. There's a bit of um, you know the, obviously being online. There's a lot of people saying oh you know this is a is a, a man child and you know his content is a bit light. But for his the audience he's aiming for, it's mm-hmm. it's great content. It's it's always kids friendly. It's always um, super energetic. It's always super positive. Um, like the, only very rarely would he do something that is not slagging, but you know, um, being a bit negative. Um, I think with the 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 you know the, the multiple killings we had last year, he he actually came out on his channel, which was a bit of out of character, if you will, but that was bigger than him. So he actually did a couple of videos on, on like saying like, look, this is who I am. I am well aware, but I didn't talk about it, which I thought was super, like great. It's great. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, I, I actually love watching this guy and he, and he, he deserves to be even bigger than he is. Um, he, he's, he, he can be very like content, something you can have in the background and, and you know, mm. 
but he can be also very informative. And I think that's great when, when you can have both. Uh, so Lamar, Lamar Wilson, if you are looking for somebody who's got knowledge and is really cool and, and down to earth, yeah, go and check him out. Um, second one, I think, moving on from Lamar, it's a completely different style. <laughs> and it's somebody who's a massive, massive YouTube channel. But again, like, it doesn't matter. We, ju we just need to uh, get more people. You know, us, tiny, tiny channel. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about him. Um, MKBHD, uh, but his real name is Marcus Brownlee, who's a 27-year-old dude. Um, who's got 13 and a half million subscribers. I think 13.6 wow. at the moment. Um, and his story, I love his story because he's um, straight, out, straight out of college um, graduates and he graduated in, in marketing and IT, I think, or something like that. Um, super bright guy, uh, like super smart, um, like extremely well-spoken. Uh, and the, the production values of his videos are just absolutely like amazing. Like that's really? next level. Like it's, it's TV, well, even better than TV. Um, quality product you know it's like, you can tell there's a difference between youtubers and and the real world of tv produced um shows but like his stuff is is up there it's it's absolutely amazing in terms of production values um so his his story is quite cool because yeah he he graduated graduated from from college and he went straight into i want to be a youtuber and I'm going to create my own business and I'm going to do my own thing. Um, Good on him, man. Nice. And he's, he's done that so well that he's actually constantly invited by Apple. Um, you know, I, was, I think he knew Steve Jobs at some point, but he, or was it, I think he started launching, when, when, Steve, when did Steve Jobs pass away? I can't remember what, was that, what year that was. Was it 2016, uh, 2017? Yeah. It was around when Bowie died. I'm fairly sure. So oh, it's, it's, must have been around there. 2017, I think. Um, Ish. Took six and seventeen. Yeah. So, so, yeah, around that time. So he 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 got into all the um, uh, covering of Apple events and and um, so he he's like the, the guy that would go in the backstage and talk to Steve Jobs and um, uh, talk to influencers. I don't like the word influencers really, but that's I guess that's where he's also himself. Mm. Um, he he does a lot of very high end um, um, tech reviews, and the most famous one is the end of year reviews, which he does, which he does for um, mobile phones or cell phones for you guys, uh, the smartphone awards, which gets a ridiculous amount of views on YouTube. Um, to the point that even my wife Ellie, she. Uh, um, picked her phone uh, because of his recommendations. So <laughs> she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good there. Um, really good. And, and again, everything, it, it, what I really like about him is that you can watch a video, which will be a recommendation or a review, and it will be um, highly, like he would go into depth with a bunch of technical terms, but yet it's highly accessible to anyone who doesn't know what a RAM is, you know, or what memory is or, um, bezels is you know like the, he will use all those terms but he will still explain that on every single video what that means and what it is and why it matters and why you shouldn't worry about other things um so he's 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 really great for for trying to buy the right piece of equipment for whatever your need is and what i also like is this take on video games because when he talks video games he never actually talks about the games he talks about the technology behind um the gaming industry and the consoles and what's being used within those. So I think it's quite, um, it's quite a different take. Um, 
and then recently again to wrap wrap up on wrap up on uh, Marquis, he's uh, he's been interviewing a lot of big people. He's got his own podcast now, which is also doing very well. And he's got you know he got Obama there, <laughs> he got Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and you'll um, DeGrasse Tyson. And I think he also got a private tour of the Tesla Tesla offices and and uh, <laughs> and, um, and production lines by Elon Musk. So that's like yeah, guy yeah, went from this is my first job out of uni. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna hang out with Obama, you know, and make a bunch <laughs> of YouTube videos. So parents, if your kids are telling you I'm gonna be a YouTuber, dad, tell them yes. Look, look at Marcus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great success story. Um, look at how also, well we've done. <laughs> we've done. Parents, uh, tell them you want ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dave, you can get 10% of Marcus Brawley. I think you'll do well. He's, he's driving a Tesla. Around. He's, he's, I guess he's doing okay for himself. Um, yeah, the, I think the, the funny, the funny uh, anecdote by him is that he's a, he's a professional ultimate Frisbee player. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and that's literally what you think it is. It's teams of people, grown-ups yeah, no. playing Frisbee. But I was—I've never heard of it before. I didn't know it was a professional sport. That's nah. what I mean. I mean, obviously frisbee, you know. But like. Okay, I'm just gonna say one thing. This clearly has to be a milestone for diversity and inclusion because if there's someone blind right. playing ultimate frisbee, a milestone has been reached. Right <laughs> Dude, that's yeah. for sure. I mean, this this that was the whitest sport since, ever yeah. imagined. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, then cricket. No, maybe not. No. No, 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 not even cricket. No, no, ultra frisbee no, no. is way up. There, I think dude. cricket. I think. I think. I think uh, England. Uh, you know, outside of London, England. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, MKBHD. If 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 you need entertaining but yet ultra informative um, uh, content, then yeah, go ahead. I think I just want to mention also um, Black Nerd Comedy, uh, who is also extremely famous and um, he's more known for like geeky entertainment and 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 fandom stuff and you know retro stuff so it's like he's got he goes back and watch watches um 80s and 90s uh movies and stuff and it's like the way he's writing he's a great writer so like all of his comedy is like always on point and um he'll do he do movie reviews also so um he does that very well i'm not a big fan of his rants because I think he takes them too far, but again, it's super fun. It's it's also very very funny. I I like his vlogs and I like his reviews. I think he's always on point. Um, but yeah, I thought I mentioned him too. He's also massive online. You just just go look him up. He'll be there. Um, I guess a couple of the name name drops. Um, soldiers soldiers knows best. Uh, who also does um, reviews, and Tech Me Out, who is a um, a female nerd. Uh, and I think that's quite a very unique perspective because we don't see a lot of uh, a lot of that on YouTube. I think it's it's mainly when you get. I'm trying to think if there's a lot of female tech reviewers or, or nerds that are in on the same levels with, with you know Black Nerd Comedy and Lamar Wilson. I can't think of any. Mm. Mm. It's another subject. So weirdly, as you're saying this, the thought that came to my head yeah. was uh, oddly Stuart Scott. You guys remember Stuart Scott? The, From Sports Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, she, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, he lost yeah. his 
started to lose his sight, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, exactly. Yeah. E- ESPN Sports Center, uh, mm. uh, and it, it's one of those things. Is like as we as we look forward to kind of like a world where it feels more diverse in opinion and ideas and so forth, right? And that's the 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 diversity. Diverse, the reason for diversity is because everybody should have a fair shot, but also because it actually makes the work better, right? Yeah. It, you get better work from diversity, mm-hmm. right? But this is a good example of like we also need the people reviewing the work to be diverse, mm. right? Yeah. And that's what I thought of Stuart Scott, where it's like, mm. like obviously black athletes had been prominent in the 80s and 90s. Well, I mean, for, for a while in, in, for in professional while. sports, but really having a sportscaster that could then replay back to you that was also black was actually a huge moment having Stuart Scott on, on SportsCenter ESPN, right? Because it shows that it could be done from multiple angles. So that that one thing wasn't just like, it wasn't just the athlete. To your point, it's like the owners have to be black. The athlete could be black. The the, the sportscaster could be black, right? The referee could be black. Like we have to look at it as like, at every angle of the things we consume, there's a potential for diversity to, to increase, to tell a better story. And honestly, Stuart Scott is still my favorite sportscaster of all time. He just made it way the fuck more fun than the other guys. Yeah. Like him and there was that other dude that was always super excitable, the, the fat dude, I forget what it's called. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, forget. But, uh, but point being is that it made me think of that, that there is a need to also, from a review perspective, to have diversity. I hadn't thought about that in a while, actually. Oh, Chris Berman. That's 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 a chunky guy I was talking about. Chunky <laughs> guy. Oh, he's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though. It's a good point. It's a good point that you know you need, you need diversity in all aspects of of um, I was to say professional world, but all aspects. You know, period. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's to point out specific things like um, one of the things that I liked about your when you guys reviewed the first couple of episodes of WandaVision was mm. um, I can't remember if it was Tom's point or yours, JC, where um, when um, oh, what is, I've forgotten her character's name. When Geraldine says, I'm not supposed to be here in a 60s sitcom in episode oh, yeah. two of yeah. WandaVision, yeah. Uh, one of you guys pointed out that she might be saying that because she's a black person in a 60s sitcom. And that is the kind of thing that normally only black people would be able to point out and notice, mm. right? Like exactly. no one else, no, there wouldn't normally be someone in the room that would notice the notice that line from a black perspective. And I, I think, think I, I that's think I, really remember, I remember saying that because I remember turning to Ellie when we watched it in the show, and I was like, and I was, I went, oh, I think there's like a double meaning to that one because mm. it's well, with Marvel a triple meaning with that one. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's it's my um, memories of those black and white um, sitcoms yeah. were like, it's all not so white. much black and white, it's all white. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like it jumped to me, and I was like, huh, okay, that's right. But yeah, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Right. Um, moving on to. Back to JC, right? You've got another, what, what have you got? You've got another um, comic? Yes. So this one, actually, this is both a, a graphic novel and a full-on novel. So it's by Octavia Butler. Um, if you at all follow kind of the Afrofuturism movement, she's a very big character or sort of big personality within that movement. Um, and uh, to, to best explain it, I think it's best to tell what the novel's about because it'll give you an idea of what Afrofuturism is about. Uh, but in this oh, wait, case... Before, before you start, um, we, we're doing a, an episode on Afro futurism soon right so i think, that, I think that, we could, that's the plan but i think i think we'll, we'll go into more depth into what that is um what, what that culture what the movement is about 
Correct. In, in, in the later episode, but yeah, carry on. Absolutely. No, no, I fully agree. We're, we're going to dedicate a lot more time to it because there's so much to talk about it. In that, I think you deserve it, yeah. Um, but in this case, it's the story of Dana. So Dana is a woman, a black woman in the 1970s. I think it's like 1974 or 76. Um, and before I say with her story, stories about, I'll tell you kind of why Octavia Butler came up with this. So Octavia Butler wrote this book in about 78 or 79. Uh, and it was right after the the United States kind of bicentennial. So it's like 1976 was the year, like the US was officially 200 years and whatnot, right? Uh, and and she was sitting in a, with a group of students and they were talking about kind of history of slavery and racism in the United States. And one of the students kind of began to, to say like, but why didn't people like, how come slaves didn't rise up? How come slaves didn't do this? How come, how come there were house slaves? They were perfectly happy to be house slaves. Like how, how come they buckled and didn't fight against this oppressive system? And, and she realized that there's a little, there's not a lot, there's an element of the Uncle Tom narrative that is somehow misunderstood, is, was kind of her view. And that's how, why she wrote, wrote this novel. So the novel is about a woman that keeps getting sent back through time. So she's in 1974, 76, and she goes back through time to the days of slavery. So she, she's in the antebellum South on a plantation filled with slaves, white owners, like stereotypical thing that, that you think of when, when you think of kind of like the, the race of South. Um, but uh, she doesn't know why she's arriving there. All she knows is that she starts to figure out that some of these people are actually her ancestors. And, she, and she, there's some sort of connection she has into that plantation. Uh, and she has to just assimilate and just kind of become part of the, of the crew. And she becomes one of the house servants uh, for the plantation owner. And she takes on the role. She knows exactly because she's read the history. That's the thing. She's actually well read in this history. She's not just coming out of like, oh, I don't know anything about history. Like she actually, she's very well read. She knows exactly how she should behave. What are the, what are the things that she should do to basically fly under the radar until she can, she wants to get back to her time. Eventually she does, but she only comes back for a few minutes and then goes back out again and spends more time. And she's, she'll end up spending like weeks or months on end there and then just flash back to the, to the present. And one of the things I love about the book is that they don't get hung up on the time travel. The time travel is a means to tell a story, but it's not the story which is really, really interesting to me. And I think that's what, to a certain degree, the Afrofuturism movement is somewhat about, right? It's about using sci-fi to tell a story that's just a story that needs to be told. It's not a story about the sci-fi itself. So there's no, there's no oh, if you, if you do something going back in time, you might change the future. That's not taken into consideration, right? No. They don't get into the whole like Marty McFly endgame sort of scenarios <laughs> of like, does this have an impact? Am I going to have a paradox? Da, da, da. She's like, I need to survive. That, sure. that's and then that's where it ties back to that moment that Octavia Butler has with, with those students, where she starts to show about the, the relationship had between some of the servants that were considered higher up in the caste, the relationship they have to the plantation owner, and about it's, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship, but the servant is never given true agency. Like they're never really, ha they can never take their own decisions, but the plantation owner is just as dependent on them as they are on, on the plantation owner, only that one can exit the relationship and the other one never can. 
right? And, and it begins to show you that about how like people are just trying to survive and had to do anything they could to survive, to just make sure that their, their family lineage would move on, right? Um, and the plantation owner ends up falling in love with one of the slaves, but has like, and, and this is just a warning for the book itself. If you're, if you're at all triggered by abuse, this definitely has some tough moments to read in the book. But yeah. the plantation owner falls in love with one of the slaves, but has an abusive relationship with her the woman keeps coming back and trying to both protect the woman that's being abused. But for some reason also, she keeps trying to like guide the plantation owner, like develop a relationship with him. And ultimately the book is a little, a little bit of a bummer because what it shows is like, she keeps going back. And at one point she actually goes back. So the woman in the seventies is actually married to a white man. She actually goes back with her husband by accident. And the, the, the husband has to assume the role of a slave owner and she's his slave. And that's the only way they can survive. So it just shows that the, the institutions were so powerful that even a person with knowledge of what they were and how to dismantle them could not make a difference because they're just so all encompassing and they, and they had you cornered from every angle. So that's ultimately is what the book is about. Really great read, super easy to read, uh, but at the same time, like really stays with you. And they put it out in graphic novel form. I haven't read the graphic novel form, um, but uh, but I'm keen to kind of pick that up to see how, how they how they visualize it. It's it's just one of those like I feel now like a classical work of 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 uh, of writing uh, that a lot of people should read. I might pick that one up because um, it's very much in in what we're witnessing, especially for you guys in the U.S. I mean. Um, with your former president and this this there's always been that discussion or that the the yeah the discussion around um going back to germany in the 30s and, and 40s and saying oh can that happen this this and it's the same with yes. your former presidents the same thing is that how how is this happening now and it's it's i always find that that, that topic very interesting in sort of the the group mentality the that that can um be easily uh, manipulated, if you will, yeah. uh, into the darkest that you know the darkest things that the human race can offer, mm-hmm. if you you know if I can say it that way. It's 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 quite interesting. So I'm I'm actually very likely to go and buy that or try and try and see where I can get my hands on it um, because that that's a very interesting subject. You know, like how how did we get to that place? How did we get to that? And how can we change it? How could no one prevent this to happen? You know, from happening? And it's it's quite it's a very powerful um, subject, something that's quite deep to try to analyze and understand. So yeah, that's definitely going on my list um, <laughs> there, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a, <laughs> a in terms of- Yeah, and it, it, it's always interesting to revisit stories like that because it we going back with modern perspectives on an age old, story of you know slavery and specific mm-hmm. slavery stories um we do always think like how could this happen or how could you not or how could they have had this massive thing like slavery um and not been able to escape or if i was then i would have done x y and z and it, yeah. it goes to show that it was as difficult as it sounds and as difficult as it feels to watch and read about and learn about um, those kinds of stories. It, it reminds me of um, Watchmen. I just finished Watchmen not long ago. Um, and 
that's another great story. But I remember when it came out, I didn't, as I said, I only just finished it recently. I didn't watch it um, when it first came out, but I remember um, all of the, not outrage, but all of the sort of confusion around the first episode where they mentioned the Tulsa riots and uh, the, just to summarize it all, basically there was uh, an area in Tulsa where the black community had made um, a community for themselves. All the businesses were black owned and um, thriving. And it was just a nice burgeoning neighborhood essentially. Um, and racists came through and bombed the whole area. They just carpet bombed the whole place and killed um, and ended a bunch of black families just because of because, right? Yeah. Um, and again, it evokes those same questions. How could this be? How could that mm -hmm. happen? And at the time when it was put into the show, uh, it exposed the fact that these things have happened and they're just never spoken about again. <laughs> yeah. Like so many people, A, didn't know it ever it had ever happened. And upon watching it, were like, oh, surely that was fake. And then you go and look it up and actually, no, that was something that happened. And it's just never, the story's never been retold anywhere. <laughs> and, and that's the thing with uh, Watchmen that I, 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 once again, I'm also a big fan of, of that show for, for two reasons, but one of them to talk about here is um, in that show, it, ge it shows you once again, how the systems come together because you look at the ambitions of the white supremacists in that show and they're not ambitions like, let's go kill one person. It's no, no. How can we have power that is you like ubiquitous over yeah. everything? Their aspiration to control is at a different level so that any individual could never do anything about it specifically. Yeah. Right. It would take once again, looking back to like like elevating your community. It's like it would take literally entire communities to fight against this. And that's the power they're seeking, right? It's a, it's a tale of abuse of power, ultimately, um, that, that you get in Watchmen. And yeah, no, I fully agree. And, and it takes a superhero, like genre and a bunch of tropes to tell that story. And I'm like, great, it's making it super entertaining and fun for us. But at the same time, it's landing a clear message that, that needs to be said. So yeah, no, fully agree, man. That's a good connection, actually. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I, I I, th I think, like I said before, we'll we'll, we'll go back and explore a bit more on the um, um, Afrofuturism theme. I think it's also very interesting. That's part of it. Um, you know, it's 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 a podcast in on it. You know, we need, we need to, to spend the time on that. Yep. And if the book is interesting, check out anything by Octavia Butler. She has another book called Dawn that's also very, very famous. And check out anything by N.K. Jemison. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm currently reading her Broken Earth uh, trilogy. Uh, same also. Uh, in the case of N.K. Jemison, she leans much more into the sci-fi element, but still tells stories that are incredibly important. Um, so the, the Broken Earth trilogy starts off with the, the fifth season. And I'd, I'd highly recommend everybody to pick that up. That's super good. Uh, by the way, one last question about this: Is it a is it just a one book or is it a series of books? It's a one one book. It's you can one. get it on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, most okay. most libraries should have it. You can get it on Amazon. It's been around for a while. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, and, and, and the graphic. Oh, actually, and if you can pick up the graphic novel version, you can help out your local comic store. We'll do. We'll do. 
All right. Um, I think we are now ready to move on. Well, I think the last recommendation of the episode. Yeah. Um, and we're going back to Dave because Dave wants to talk about something that he liked, which I is what we're doing on do. this podcast. <laughs> so, um, so my last recommendation. Oh, what's happened there? Is um a film called Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, it's the sequel to the original Pacific Rim movie. Um, and I'm not recommending the film necessarily, but I wanted to highlight the film uh, because it was co-produced by Upper Room Entertainment Limited. Uh, and that is a black owned uh, production company started by John Boyega, who as you know, or probably know, uh, was the lead actor in the film. Um, he, has spoken about this himself. I'm sure you can find um, some interviews about it, but basically he sought to create a production company that was capable of just telling stories, right? Because uh, as we talked about in, in pre-production, um, we've gotten to the point where we can have an all black car, uh, a near all black cast in Black Panther. Um, but that film is also poignant because it had a black director and we have black directors in Ryan Coogler, in um, Ava DuVernay, in Spike Lee, um, who have been able to get films made. Um, and that is no small feat um, for black people, for the black community. Um, and then it's like, well, we can have a film directed by Ryan Coogler and starring an all black cast, but then what about the production side of things? And this is a film where the production um, was largely done by a black owned business and black um, black producers. Um, and it's, it's just that theme of being able to be in the room at all of these different stages of creating a product, creating a film, creating a, a book, a comic, whatever the medium is. Um, I just wanted to, yeah, just to shine a light on that side of things as well, because uh, as we mentioned with diversity, it's important to have people at all at all stages um, for representation's sake. Um, building on that, John Boyega um, was he learned to act. He was trained to act at the Identity School of Acting in Hackney, um, which was founded by Femi Ogun's, and um, that studio uh, was actually formed in order to um, bring through uh, a bunch of diverse actors and the way that they teach them to act there is actually very different to how you would normally be taught. Um, because Not only because you're being taught by a black person, but because um, they, they just have different creative ways of um, teaching people to act uh, and they've produced uh not only john boyega but um, malachi kirby all right um yeah you will have seen in a bunch of different stuff he's in um black mirror he was in roots yep. um letitia wright as well uh who we mentioned earlier uh came all through right. that same um that same academy um uh, melanie libert and, and there's a bunch of others who have come through there and gone on to to greater things um 
and I, I just felt it was important to to highlight that side of things. It's the acting schools, it's the production companies, and it's so all the of these other the people. Yeah. yeah, who um the the actors have the names that you'll know, the directors you might know, and then everyone else is just sort of by the wayside. But it's important mm -hmm. to have um diversity at all levels of of the entertainment industry now if 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 you want me to to um do a bit of an easter egg stuff you know where obviously john boyega's parents are from mm -hmm. nigeria mm -hmm. the, uh, mm -hmm. there's one big city in nigeria um also if you can refer to the last episode he john boyega was part of uh well he was in wandsworth which is where both you I thought, well, hang on is tooting in wandsworth tooting is in wandsworth? Is, is wandsworth yes of course it is well, hey, he, he attended he attended south thames college south thames college look at famous by, made famous by <laughs> I'm, sure, <JC's>, uh, <laughs> I'm sure i'm sure he met someone there from lagos well, he was there. <laughs> There's no way he couldn't have. <laughs> but anyway, going, going back, going back to the, the the topic though, it's it's. I think it's vastly important that um yeah we also shine a light on on the, like I said the uh, the guys that are behind um, the movie stars and they're making everything. You know, because there's no movies without them. Um, so and it's good that it's also you know being there has to be also diversified in in, in those ways because it, it is you know myself work I've, I've worked for the last over 15 years um in, in the film and movies industry and it's like it's true that yeah, it's it, there's a lack of diversity and i know companies are pushing for that um um it's it and it's quite interesting to to see that push being made and that and, and there's now been I guess it depends on the company, but it's it's also being widely discussed and openly discussed. Is what I'm I'm looking mm. for. Um, and, and you know, it's it's great that he also himself knowing that what it takes to be an actor and to be in front of the camera that he knows that look, we also need to expand that uh, mm. using my fame, using my my name, using the money that I've got. Um, oh, you know, the, the the fact that I can attract bigger players mm. with money and create um, companies that are owned uh, by black people. I think it's a great thing to do. I think, I think it has to be done because there's this, you know, it's different, different culture, for example, to mine and, and, and it's, that can brings different stories that are super interesting mm. to the forefront. I think that's to be done, you know, and then it starts from there. You, as, as, as soon as you can, not going to use the word control, but have an, a, an effect. An influence. Um, an influence exactly mm. on all on, on the, the the machine all the cogs that are behind uh, making sure a movie comes out or whatever it is it doesn't have to just to be in the movie industry but what i mean is that it's once you control all the different stages of um, the different stages of of production let's bring it back to the movies industry then you, you you can make sure that you can tell the stories you want and you can um uh, be influential in many different ways I, I think i think it's a great move i'm all for that kind of stuff when, when you, you take control of um of backstage if you will mm -hmm. um but yeah uh, i don't know, I don't know. 
Yeah, no, as we were talking about, I was trying to look up just like movies that were produced, clearly produced by black owned companies mm-hmm. and, and that, that are in the nerd sphere. And uh, it's hard. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's very hard. Like I was looking through a few, but none of them totally fit the criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, even just finding movies that are like, I said, we talked about her like, before we started the show, right? That it's just the research for the show is actually surprisingly difficult sometimes mm-hmm. uh, because there's just not that intersection of black history uh, or black culture and nerd culture. While from a spectator perspective has taken much better form in the last couple of years or where like, there's much more people that are like, oh, you know what? I'm black and I'm a nerd. And it's like, I'm no longer to your point. Like I'm no longer like embarrassed to say that you still don't have the the production there to to sustain the audience i guess is my point like i think we're growing an audience that's bigger than the movies coming out mm-hmm. and we do need to and so that's so you're right some of these movies well not they're not ostensibly like objectively like great they need to exist they need to say yeah. we need to support them so that we can get the next version because we want these movies to 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 walk so that the other ones can run mm-hmm. right um, and uh, funny if I was, I was just uh, as you as we were talking about this, I started thinking about uh, "Sorry to Bother You." Did you guys mm-hmm. ever see that one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that one is like you could argue kind of dips into nerd culture because it does have some very fantastical elements of it. Yeah. And that's that's directed by Boots Riley. It was again black director, black writer. But I looked at the at the producing team, and it's mainly white. Forrest Whitaker's in there, which is awesome. Oh, but wow. then the rest the rest of the team is primarily white and mm. and probably i forgot to actually put in this list but one of my favorite things that i or saw earlier in the year from a potential perspective is a movie called fast color maybe you guys get a chance to check it out on amazon check it out it's a movie uh, once again strong uh, female black, black lead and it's uh, in this case it's somewhat like it's kind of like a mutant story where these there's a there's a set of women that have from from uh, generation to generation passed on a power to each other uh, and it's only and the lineage is only through women and it's an ability to almost like manipulate things with their hands but they make it like into these colors and and the interesting thing is that as you watch the movie you're trying to figure out like what that power actually entails like what does it allow them to do to protect themselves because obviously there's danger involved and they have to protect themselves and stuff like that um but there's a there's a lot of mysticism around the power and and about how it gets passed on from one generation to other and it just tells a really nice kind of like story of heritage right point being is that the movie itself is good but it's certainly not great but the idea is strong enough that 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 that, that could be produced something more they're going to come out with a series for it but once again when i checked out the director it's a white director so i'm curious mm. to see once they start writing uh for the, the series for the show who are the actual writers on the show and who's yeah. producing Mm. Because we were talking about Watchmen earlier and if I'd have to mm. tie it back to Mark Bernard and I heard him talking on a podcast once, uh, well, actually on the Fat Man Beyond podcast about Damon Lindelof. And he's like, look, we got one of the greatest piece of black media this year in Watchmen. And it was, it was, it was created by a white guy. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. And he's like, and, and he's like, I actually know Lindelof and I'll give him a pass on this because I know he did what you're supposed to do as a, as a, as a writer. He's like, he compared himself as like, if I ever have to write for an Asian audience, mm. I would surround myself with Asian writers in a writer mm. room. 
Mm-hmm. I would surround myself with people that know the story so I can help craft a story based on their knowledge and mm-hmm. my storytelling ability based mm-hmm. on their experience, right? And mm-hmm. you try to combine those two as much as you can. He's like, and that's what Lindelof did. He, mm-hmm. he, he didn't come out knowing, like, I know this experience. I need to surround myself with people that have that experience. And that mm-hmm. to me is like a big difference, right? And to your point, it's like, that's when you have black producers. You're surrounding yourself with the people that know the experience, even though they're not the actors or the directors. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, because you're talking about a culture, you know, mm. um, and that's what um, that's what I'm trying to teach, like, um, for example, my kids about, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, look, is a black dude doing this and that. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, it's not about skin color; it's about mm. cultures. We're all different cultures. Skin color doesn't mm. don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, we all have two arms, two legs. But it's the culture. It's like it's a different culture there, and that's fine to have a different upbringing and different points of references. And, and I think that's what makes life a cool thing to go through. You know, it's like we all bring on different um, spice into it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And that's why that's why I thought doing this recommendation episode was really interesting. You know, and doing a bit of mm-hmm. bit of research and see what everybody everybody's got. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that. All right? Shall we? Uh, wrap this one up i think we're going up for yes <laughs> I, I think it'd be a good idea <laughs> it's a good idea um right cool anyway <laughs> as you said let's wrap that one up um dave thank you for joining us um i think you'll will you will dave be joining us into the next episode i think it would be a cool good idea to i'll, have I'll you back see on. what i can do yeah so talk, I... to, talk to to your your lawyers talk to your pa <laughs> see what they say Talk to your people and talk to our people. Our yeah. people are just us, unfortunately. <laughs> we are everything. Uh, lawyers, you know, CEOs, whatever. Yeah. Um, all right, anyway, thanks for joining us, Dave, again. Plug, your, plug your podcast. Plug your stuff. I am one quarter. Well, I don't know. 25%. No, you're more fifth. than that. We have social media people. Sure. A fifth of the Grit and Grime basketball podcast um we release episodes every week uh this week we put out an episode about uh various shooting guards and we rank them in order of um how good we think they are um dame 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 <laughs> he's not and in, <laughs> in the coming week so at some point shortly after this episode as i would expect um we will be listing our all-star teams for the all-star game yeah vote for luca <laughs> um <all right. laughs> if you know you know um anyway so thanks and and jc thank you for joining again one more time we are here every week and you are here every week yeah that's awesome well, and, and thank you to everyone following us on Instagram. What is it? We're up to like 600 followers? 606 now, I just checked. <laughs> it's Ooh, going up nice. and up and up. Uh, but yeah, so th- yes, yeah, thank everyone. you for everyone who's, who's following us on, on social media. That means a lot to us. Uh, we didn't expect to be at 600 after uh, what, two or three months of being uh, an actual podcast, being something created. Um, so recently so it's it's quite awesome to see we're looking into getting those twitter numbers um, up but that's that's another ball game altogether um anyway we'll guys will reconvene again soon to talk about one division if you're not listening to our one division um recap they're all fun episode five was very fun 
Um, there's a lot of Easter eggs in there that <laughs> we've dropped into this episode as well. Uh, we'll be back for more Black History Month content, I think very soon, hopefully. And uh, for that, we'll see you all in the next episode. And thank you for listening again. Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. That's a drop, <laughs>